0: Welcome back to another episode of Bengal Bites, where we feed your craving for Cincinnati news and analysis. I'm your host, Derek. If you're just joining this show, you can go check out episode zero, the pilot episode, where I answered who I am, what this show is all about, why I'm making this podcast, which is basically I'm some dude who loves football. I love watching football. I used to play football my entire life, and I have been cursed or blessed with also loving the Cincinnati Bengals. And I wanted to do a podcast to share that with you, the fans. So if you want a hardcore Cincinnati Bengals podcast, this is it. So that's basically, you don't have to listen to episodes here. I just saved you a bunch of time. (laughs) Episode one, last episode, I tried to do a little something different where I did a preseason primer episode, assuming that you, the listener, have no concept of what football is at all. So I know that sounds kind of weird that you'd be a football fan listening to a football podcast and don't know anything about football. But I just wanted to assume no prior knowledge of anybody, just in case there's anybody out there who's from another country or something listening to this podcast for some time. Ch- Maybe you're an alien. You came in. You don't know what's going on. Hello. First of all, welcome to Earth. I am Derek. I'm the leader around here. So if you have any questions, you, you know, need anything, just let me know. Um, but also go back and listen to episode one. And I explain football, which is very important for aliens too. not just people. Aliens can like football, too. In this episode, episode two, we're going to get to the good stuff. No more setup, no more dancing around. We finally have football, real, live football action in the stadium at Paycor Stadium Friday night, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to go through all the details. We're going to break it down, go through all the analysis, not just the stats, not just the YouTube highlights. We're going to go through the story of the game. We're going to talk about what it's like as a fan viewing the preseason game, what should we look out for in a preseason game, some of the highlight plays that stood out, the good, the bad, the ugly, the interesting, all that kind of stuff. We're going to highlight a few players that stood out in positive ways and negative ways. We're, this is an evaluation. If we're, if we're putting on our scouting hats, our football scouting hats, we're looking for consistency, we're looking for good plays, that'll make the roster and plays that will get you cut off the roster. So it's all an evaluation. And then after the game, there's obviously the press conferences, the interviews. So we'll go through all of the aftermath, some of the things we learned after the game to dissect all that. Then at the end, we'll wrap up with some show notes, some housekeeping, some listener interactions. So there's a lot to get through. So let's get into it. First of all, before we start with the game, let's get into the biggest story of the weekend, which had happened before the game even took place. No Joe Burrow contract so far, but we did see Joe Burrow on the field doing a warm-up. He did some throwing. He did some light jogging. Not quite a sprint, but not quite a slow jog. You know, He was moving enough that he was getting in a little bit of a sweat. He got a little bit of a lather worked up, you could say. So that was good. That was the first time we had seen Joe Burrow besides just walking around on the practice field with a sleeve on his leg. We didn't see any kind of irritation or inflammation or bruising or anything on Joe Burrow's calf. He wasn't wearing any kind of a sleeve. He looked good. We still didn't see him like, you know, plant, move, try to burst, do anything explosive with that. So he still got probably a long rehab process, but he still got a few weeks before the regular season starts. Plenty of time to heal up. So that was good news. That's the biggest thing we wanted to see. Honestly, it didn't matter what happened in the preseason game. After we saw Joe Burrow running around on the field, it was all gravy after that. So as fans, we need to kind of set up our expectations appropriately going into the first preseason games. What are we really looking for? What should we expect going into the game? The first thing we want to see is execution. I think any coach, including Zach Tiller, would tell you, they want to see execute the fundamentals. Do the fundamentals correctly. You can't walk until you crawl. So you have to get people on the field. Get the right 11 guys on the field at the right time. Not 10 guys, not 12 guys, not you know the wrong 11 guys. You need to get all the right 11 guys on the field at the same time. That's step one. Step two is everybody knowing what to do getting the play called, getting in and out of the huddle, getting lined up at the line of scrimmage correctly. Everybody at least looking somewhat competent. We wanna look professional out there. We gotta be professional, keep it professional people. And then everybody do their job. Everybody complete their assignment, execute their assignment on whatever was called for that play. So you just wanna see the basics. After the basics, you wanna see effort. Who is giving the maximum effort? Whether they are doing the right thing or the wrong thing, how much effort are they putting into what they're doing? Even if you don't know what you're doing, do it 100 miles an hour, they say. Maybe something good's going to happen. If you, if you do something 100 miles an hour, maybe you'll make a play. You're not going to make a play most of the time if you just stand there and don't do anything. So whatever happens, even if you don't know what's going on, just do something really hardcore. <laughs> now, as a fan... We can't expect to... As a fan, you have to understand that the team's winning is kind of a secondary objective. It's not really the primary objective. The primary objective of the preseason game is to evaluate the players to see who can play on the team in the regular season. So they're not going to call plays to necessarily give them the best chance of winning the game. They're going to be very vanilla in their play calling. They're not going to show off any trick plays or any gadgets or anything really that opponents that they might play in the regular season could prepare for. You don't want to give your opponents like your AFC North rivals film on you or tape on you doing plays that you would normally do in the regular season so that they can scheme and strategize against the plays that you're going to be running in the regular season. So these play calls are going to be very basic, boring, nothing interesting. They're going to try not to show any of their tendencies. Like what would they do on third down and short they don't want to show off what they're thinking you know it's all a chess match throughout the season teams are watching other teams seeing what they want to do what they're trying to do so you don't want to show off really anything that you're planning anything that you're scheming you want to keep everything very close to the vest also you got to expect tons of advertisements advertisements everywhere nonstop, all the time Even more so than normal. You're going to get advertisements. There are going to be local advertisements for Cincinnati and Skyline Chili and all kinds of stuff. But there's going to be ads everywhere. What we want to see is no injuries. That's the biggest thing. Get everybody healthy through. And that's why none of the starting big-time players are going to be starting in this game or playing in this game at all. All the starters are sitting, standing on the sidelines in their t-shirt and shorts, workout clothes they're not getting anywhere close to the field. All these guys making 20 million dollars a year, they're not touching the field. Mike Brown does not want to put his chips out on the table. He doesn't want to put any investment dollars at risk. Anybody who's, you know, a high salary player who's making upwards of 10 million dollars, you're sitting on the bench. So, and that's a good when you think about it. They had almost a sellout crowd there. 64,000 people in the stands in Cincinnati for a preseason game. It was the most they'd had in over 10 years. You know Mike Brown has got to be loving that. He's not putting anybody good at risk, and he's still filling up the stadium and selling out. So he's raking in the dough, raking in the cash, no chips on the table. Mike Brown is having a great night on the Ohio River. Let's quickly recap the draft so we know what are the new rookie players coming in that we need to be on the lookout for this preseason. So First round, we had Miles Murphy, defensive end out of Clemson. He is a tall, big, fast defensive end. He basically looks like a Sam Hubbard replacement. So if you know anything about the Bengals and the way they kind of draft, they like to draft for the next year or two to three years in advance. So they're always drafting players who are replacements for players that may be on the way out a couple years from now. They're not necessarily drafting guys to fill spots on their roster right now. In theory, if they keep this system up of constantly drafting guys for the future, they'll fill holes and they'll never have any great deficiency that they need to cover up for in the draft. So that's the theory. We'll see if it works. Their second round pick was DJ Turner out of Michigan, the fastest player in the combine. He ran a 4 40-yard dash, so we know he's got speed. Not the biggest guy, but he's got lots of skills. He's got lots of experience against big-time competition, playing in the Big Ten at Michigan. So we're excited to watch him. Hopefully, Cheeto can come back and start. But if not, it looks like DJ Turner is probably going to be the starter opposite of Cam Taylor Britt at cornerback. We'll see how that develops. Their third-round pick was the safety Jordan Battle out of Alabama, another big school. They went Clemson, Michigan, Alabama to start. So three big schools right off the bat. Not necessarily the greatest, most elite athlete, but he was a starter all the time at Alabama, a captain of the team. Nick Saban raved about him. So we expect big plays, big consistent play out of Jordan Battle. Fourth round pick, Charlie Jones, wide receiver, kick and punt returner from Purdue. A little bit of an older guy. He was one of these guys who had like extra eligibility through the pandemic, and he transferred. He went from, I think, Buffalo to Iowa to Purdue, so he's been around. He's like older than Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, so he's a rookie, but he's older than a lot of the other wide receivers that he's joining. Fifth-round pick, Chase Brown, running back out of Illinois. Got good speed. He's got a lot of carries, so that could be good, could be not so good if you're worried about wear and tear on a running back in their body over time he's got a lot of carries for a college running back so hopefully that's not a negative. negative six round pick andre Yosivash out of princeton wide receiver national champ in the heptathlon indoor so we know he's an outstanding athlete he's got great size at 6'3 about 205 the only thing we're you know want to see is how can he play against top-notch competition coming out of the ivy league he didn't play against a lot of great competition, and a lot of great athletes. So he was usually just a much better athlete than all those guys. Could just just school them, and didn't Didn't really matter. So we're gonna have to see how he stacks up against the elite of the elite. Also, another six-round pick, Brad Robbins, was the punter out of Michigan. He looks like he's in the driver's seat since Drew Christmas kind of had some health issues. So we just want to see Brad be consistent, show that he's not gonna completely flub it up, completely shank his kicks out of bounds and mess up his holds and put the laces backwards and all kinds of stuff. We just want to see good play. That's all we really need to see out of Brad Robbins. DJ Ivy, seventh round pick from Miami, cornerback. Late round pick, you know, not we'll have to see. We'll, we'll keep an eye on him throughout the preseason, but those were the eight draft picks to keep an eye on. There are some other undrafted free agents to be on the lookout for. Like I said, Mac Hippenhammer, Great name. So, football is finally back. What we've been waiting for, this whole long, drawn-out summer, excruciating. There's nothing on. There's no sports unless you're a baseball fan. I guess the Reds are pretty good, but Formula One is terrible. Max Verstappen is destroying everybody. Red Bull is winning every single race. It's not interesting. So, football is finally back. We can finally get into it. Now, if you watch any Bengals games in the past, you know the traditional song before the opening kickoff is Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle. It's a great song to get everybody pumped up and they time it up so that right before the opening kickoff is kicked, the chorus from Welcome to the Jungle kicks in, the drums, the guitar, and everybody's singing the chorus. It's just everybody's loud and amped up and you feel the energy in the stadium. It's a really great tradition. I love the way the Bengals do that to get everybody pumped up for the game. Here we go. Opening kickoff... Chris Evans making a nice open field tackle on the Green Bay 18-yard line to start off the game. This is a huge play for Chris Evans because he needs to show the coaches that not only can he be a contributor on the offense as a running back, but that he can be a good special teams guy. So making that open field tackle, great open field tackle, good way to start off the game. And field position is critical. Anytime you can back the opponent up inside their 20 to start off, that's going to make it that much harder for them to score points later. Green Bay comes out with their entire first-team offense, pretty much. All their starters, including Jordan Love, their starting quarterback, their entire starting offensive line, starting tailbacks, starting wide receivers. So it's all Green Bay's starters against all of Cincinnati's number twos, all the backups, because all of Cincinnati's starters are standing on the sidelines. Jamar Chase is in street clothes, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, you know, everybody is not playing. So right off the bat, you have to set your expectations that, okay, We know that Green Bay is playing with their starters, so Cincinnati is at a competitive disadvantage by playing their twos. We can't expect them to necessarily win the game, but we should expect competitiveness. That's what we wanted to see. We want to see effort execution. So let's set our expectations going into the game appropriately. They're probably not going to win, but we want to see some of the young guys step up and show what they've got and why we drafted them. The Bengals, on the other hand, are going mostly second string, sitting all their starters, with the exception of probably Dax Hill and maybe D.J. Turner, two young defensive backs. And that was probably good for them to go against the ones for Dax Hill to see a starting quarterback, basically, so he gets that experience. So on the first drive for Green Bay, they've got the ball. Aaron Jones, he's their starting tailback for the Packers. He catches the ball out of the flat, and that's his one play for the done. I just thought that was weird that they would have their starting running back in to catch one pass and then go on the sidelines for the rest of the game. Like, why even risk it? I don't understand the benefit of having a guy play one play, but whatever. Second play, they kind of did the same thing with Luke Musgrave, their second-round pick from Oregon State. They threw him one pass, and he was in for a couple other plays, but he got out pretty early. Second and seven at the Green Bay 35, deep pass, incomplete, deep left. Jordan Love was looking for Christian Watson down the left sideline, but Dax Hill was able to cover a lot of ground, kind of play center field. He got a good jump on the pass. He showed good speed in the open field, and he came over and batted the ball down. He didn't make an interception. He didn't even try. He didn't go up with two hands to try to catch it. That's the only, if you could make one improvement on that play, was you'd like to see Dax try to intercept it and not just bat it down. Because he was there. He was in position. But if he would have gone up with two hands, maybe he could have caught it. And like we said, possession is so important. When you're on defense, you don't just want to stop them. Stopping them is great, but you also want to get the ball back and take it away so that you can give it to your offense. So stopping the other team is great, but we want the ball. The other thing on that play that was kind of a little bit concerning, DJ Turner, their second round cornerback, who's got the 4 speed, he fell down on the play and fell down flat on his face. So even though he's got the 4 he's not running 4 on his face. So you have to stay up. You can't fall down. That was a little bit concerning to see on his first deep ball. It had to be a bad feeling, like laying on the ground, and the guy you're covering is just running possibly for a touchdown. So that wasn't a good, good start. But he recovered later. That was, we saw DJ Turner make some good plays later in this game. 3rd and 7 at the Green Bay 35. Jordan Love completely overthrew Luke Musgrave on third down. Not even close. Just airmailed it. Way over (laughs) him. So that, if you're a Packers fan, probably a little bit uh, concerning. But at least Jordan Love has a strong arm. He showed that off. After that, Green Bay punted. It was a punt to Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor had a good return. He made a lot of guys miss. He got 23 yards, unfortunately. It was called back by an illegal block in the back. Penalty on Jeff Gunter, so it pushed Cincinnati back to their own 10-yard line. Not good field position to start off for Jake Browning in the second-team offense as they went onto the field. First and 10 at the Bengals' 10-yard line. First snap of the game, Jake Browning takes a sack. He looked like he had somebody, I think it was Trent Irwin, coming across late over the middle that he could have thrown to, but I guess he didn't see him. He held onto the ball way too long. He got sacked by Jackson Carmen's guy off the right end. And Jackson Carmen lost his matchup, but he didn't lose it too quickly. Like, yeah, he lost. He eventually let the guy get around the end, but he held him up for, you know, three, four seconds. Jake Browning should have just thrown the ball. I don't know what he was looking at. So they got sacked. That wasn't good. Loss of eight yards immediately. And I know Jackson Carmen was a big storyline for a lot of fans in this game. Two things that I noticed about Jackson Carmen right away was on that first snap, he looked like he was doing his L. L. Collins impression from last year. He looked like he did a perfect LC, like he was taking notes from LC from last year, like very stiff. He stood almost straight up and just kind of leaned his head into the guy instead of trying to get low and have a good center of gravity, good center of balance. And then he just lost his balance completely and almost fell over. That's what... LC would have just fallen over flat on his back. At least Jackson Carmen was able to stay upright and off of the ground, which is a plus. But the other thing about Jackson Carmen I noticed he was wearing these pads on his forearms. I don't know if he always wears these. I don't I didn't see any other lineman wearing them. It looked like kind of protective pads on his forearms. I don't know why he would need a, like why is he trying to protect his forearms? I I I don't know. Maybe he's sensitive. He's got delicate arms that bruise easily. He wants to protect his forearms. Just put some tape and some gloves on and go out there and hit guys. Don't worry about padding up your arms and getting bruised. Bruises are going to happen. You're going to get cuts. You're going to get scrapes. That's just the game of football, so I don't know what he's trying to protect himself from. Second down, the Bengals are backed up to their own two-yard line, so they just got to get out. They got a few yards. Chris Evans did a good job of getting out of the end zone on that play. Third and 15, they're on their own five-yard line, and they try to draw the defense off sides by doing a hard count, but unfortunately the center, Trey Hill, snapped the ball. So nobody else expected him to snap the ball. All of a sudden, everybody's rushing, the play's broken down, it's a complete mess. Jackson Carmen just stood there completely frozen, which was an interesting strategy because if you see the defender coming upfield at you across the line of scrimmage, if you move and you jump, then the penalty is still on the defense because the defense comes offsides. Penalty on defense, but he just stood there, which was weird. So fourth and 15, Cincinnati has to punt from their own five-yard line. Punting out of your own end zone, thats a tough first punt for rookie Brad Robbins, the punter. So I thought he did a good job of catching the snap, getting the ball off, not getting blocked. He got it quickly out of the end zone, up, and with decent distance, decent hang time for so for the situation, I would say that was an excellent job. The other thing to watch about Brad Robbins all night was the mustache was on point. They had the cameraman was zooming in on him every time he would kick a punt. They would zoom in and try to get his bald head and his mustache. And it, he's got a lot of great facial expressions, like when he has a good punt, he's got a smile on his face. When he has a not so good punt, he's got kind of a weird look on his face. So that's going to be interesting to watch throughout the season. I'm sure the camera is going to love Brad Robbins. So at this point, there's about 10 and a half minutes left in the first quarter. Each team has had one possession. Score is still 0-0. Both teams have punted once, so no blood, as they say. Early in Green Bay's second drive, Jeff Gunter, he did come in off the right edge, the quarterback's right, and break up a pass, batted up in the air. So Jeff Gunter did have one batted pass. That was a good play by him. Third down and five, though, Sidney Jones and Jordan Battle Gave up an easy pass to Christian Watson out in the right flat. They both were kind of in the area, but then they kind of turned and looked at each other like, were you supposed to get him? Was I supposed to get him? Somebody was supposed to get him, not just give up an easy first down on third and five. So those are the kind of things that Coach Anarumo is going to get corrected, I'm sure, when we get into the regular season. In that same drive, we saw the Green Bay Center kind of do the opposite of what Trey Hill did, where... Trey Hill snapped the ball when nobody else was expecting it. Green Bay Center didn't snap the ball when everybody else was expecting it. So he just stayed there with the ball on the ground while everybody else was moving. That was kind of an interesting moment. But in the end of this drive, Bengals end up giving a touchdown. It was kind of a lob pass to the left corner of the end zone. Sidney Jones was in coverage. Sidney Jones, the fourth. He was in coverage and just didn't locate the ball in the air. Couldn't turn around and get his eyes on the ball to break it up he just kind of swatted at the receiver's hands while he went up so gave up a score didn't swat the ball down so 7-0 Green Bay now Cincinnati's got the ball back about seven minutes left to go in the first quarter quarterback Jake Browning throws deep to the left it looks like maybe a back shoulder fade to Andre Yoshivas number 80 but it's too far inside and too low it's not it's not, a, it's not a good pass, and it lets the Green Bay defensive back break it up. It looked like there was some contact, like maybe the Green Bay defender was holding Yoshivas' arm so he couldn't go up and make the play on it, but it was not a good pass at all by Browning. So what I did like to see was on the next play, very similar but to the opposite side of the field. So to the right side, it's third and seven, they get the conversion. Yoshivas on a good short out. Makes a good hands catch away from his body on the right sideline to get the first down away from the defender. So that was a good good throw and good catch. First and 10 at Cincinnati's 41. Pass over the middle to Trenton Irwin goes for 32 yards. That was Trenton Irwin's only catch of the day. He started the game, maybe played the first few series, but he didn't play too much after this. He caught one pass, and the only thing that was interesting about this was he kind of fumbled it without any contact. Nobody touched him. He just caught it and then kind of juggled it up into the air and took a couple steps with the ball kind of fumbling up in the air, but he caught it and kept going. So it was good that he didn't just like completely fumble it in open field without being touched. Unfortunately, the Bengals could not do too much with that 30-yard catch from Trenton Irwin, so it ended with a 38-yard field goal from Evan McPherson. Now it's Green Bay 7, Cincinnati 3. In Green Bay's Third drive with about three minutes left to go in the first quarter. Quarterback Jordan Love is replaced by backup Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford comes in and he looks right off the first pass. Strong, decisive, throws it straight between two Bengals defenders, Alan George and Marcus Bailey, for a 25-yard pass right up the middle. To me, Sean Clifford really was the player of the game. I know this is a Bengals podcast, but out of all the players that played on Friday night, Sean Clifford really popped off the screen to me. Like He was making good decisions, strong throws. showed a lot of athleticism, running around, getting first downs with his legs. So don't sleep on Sean Clifford. I'm going to call it now. He may not play this year that much because Jordan Love is obviously going to be the starter. But it could be like a Taylor Heineke situation with Sean Clifford. If he gets to a situation where the starter isn't really pulling their weight, he could win a few games with Sean Clifford, I think. 30 seconds to go in the first quarter, 3rd and 4 at the Cincinnati 42. Clifford hits this kind of jump pass over the left side. Sidney Jones gives up the contested catch. He's trailing to the quarterback's left, just like on Jordan Love's touchdown on the previous drive. So Sidney Jones gets beat twice on pretty similar-looking plays, one for a touchdown, one for a long conversion on 3rd down. Getting into the second quarter, 3rd and 7 at the Bengals 24, Green Bay. Throws the ball to the deep right into the end zone. Allen George, the Bengals' defensive back, gets called for pass interference in the end zone. So it's kind of a tough call. You'd like to see them, if they're going to call it on the Bengals, you'd like to see the Packers get called for defensive pass interference. But the ball moves to the Bengals' 1-yard line. The next play, they give up an easy touchdown off the right end. It looked like it looked like Marcus Bailey and Jeff Gunter may have been the ones who got kind of blocked out of the way. Jeff Gunter, especially just like let a tight end just completely bulldoze him out of the way. So Duke Tobin was sitting up in the booth for the second quarter with the commentators. And if you listen to the TV broadcast, you heard Anthony Munoz mention about that play. He's like, Hmm, kind of easy on that touchdown run there, Duke. They just ran it right up there. Not really a whole lot of resistance. And here Duke and just say, yep, that's good tape to watch. Good tape to watch. So, yeah, if you watch the tape, it doesn't look good for Marcus Bailey and Jeff Gunter on that play. But it was just kind of a bad mirror by Bailey. He ran right into the back of one of his teammates, J. J2 J.Tufeli. So it was basically two guys standing directly in front of each other instead of side by side so they could both plug a gap. They were both trying to plug the same gap, and that's not a good way to play defense down near the end zone. So at this point, it's Green Bay 14, Cincinnati 3. After the Bengals get the ball back for their third possession, Chris Evans busts off a big run on second and four. He gets 33 yards off of the right side. He's kind of falling behind a lead block by Trey Hill. Trey Hill's the left guard on the play, and Trey pulls around to the right side and kicks out the defensive end. Kind of. He does enough to get the defensive end out of the way. And Chris Evans shows a good burst to get through the line of scrimmage and get to the second level. He doesn't quite have the home run speed to break away from all those guys. So the safety and the cornerback and there was another third guy. They were able to catch him before he could take it all the way. But still, 33 yards is a great pickup. It's the longest run of the night, actually, for Cincinnati. So good gain. It was around this same time that Duke Tobin, the basically the Bengals general manager, mentions how he saw Yoshivas catching the ball away from his body and not letting it get in on him, it's kind of implying that in the past he was a bit of a body catcher and letting the ball just kind of hitting him in the chest instead of reaching out and snatching it out of the air. If you watch Jamar Chase, when he makes those tough contested catches in traffic against a lot of other defensive backs. It's because his hands and his arms are so strong that he reaches out with his grab and literally he reaches out with his hands and grabs the ball out of the air. He doesn't wait for it to just come into him. Tanner Hudson showed some reliable hands. Not necessarily a ton of speed or athleticism but if you threw him the ball he caught it. So that's all he can ask for. Bengals third and two at the Green Bay 33. Jake Browning tries a pass over the middle, the Yoshivas is incomplete. It looked like the Packers guy was jumping all over Yoshivas's back, and for whatever reason, he doesn't get the defensive pass interference call for it. I don't understand, you know, I know like the Anthony Munoz and the people in the booth are biased for the Bengals, but it did seem like the Bengals weren't getting a lot of defensive pass interference calls and they were having some going go against them for whatever reason. Of course, we see Zach Taylor on the sidelines with his typical Zach Taylor mildly shocks. He's got his mouth hanging open and his hands are outstretched to his sides. And he's just kind of looking like, what? But that's all you really get out of Zach Taylor. He doesn't show a lot of emotions or intensity at any point in the game. He's always extremely restrained. Only if you only see him really freak out if they hit the quarterback (laughs) because he's a quarterback himself. So if they hit Joe Burrow, he'll be like losing his mind. But other than that, it's all kind of like typical vanilla. So, They don't convert. Cincinnati has to settle for another field goal. It's a 51-yard field goal by Evan McPherson. He's got plenty of leg. It goes straight through the middle with plenty of room to spare. So he's in full midseason form. At this point, it's 14-6. Green Bay's in the lead. The Packers get the ball back with about 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. First and 10, pass over the middle. Joe Batchy is in on the tackle, and he gets hurt. He looks like he hurts his chest. They say he's out for the rest of the game. We still haven't gotten a lot of details about what happened to him, so that was the one big negative injury. You don't want to see any injuries in the preseason, and unfortunately, Joe Bacci looked like he may have been a casualty of injury on this game, so we'll keep an eye on that. All the way through this drive, Sean Clifford, the Packers quarterback, continues to look good. He looks decisive when he's making his decisions his throws are accurate on time he's got plenty of zip to his wide receivers he did a nice job on a play action fake to hit the deep play action really fooled the Bengals so he's looking good or I should say he's looking good up until third and six Green Bay 40 yard line Clifford he gets pressured up the middle so the Green Bay right guard its beat almost immediately by number 72 Dominique Davis for the Bengals. Dominique just fakes right and then he goes back to the left just enough to fake this guy out of his shoes and he puts the pressure on Sean Clifford. Clifford has to throw early or earlier than he wanted to and kind of if you're under stress and you've got a big 300 pound guy bearing down on you ready to hit you makes it hard to see where everybody is so out of the ether Here comes Tyson Anderson. He's just sitting on the backside of the play waiting to jump the route. He does jump the route. Easy pick six. He's kind of, I guess you'd call it probably a robber technique. We couldn't really see because on the preseason games, they don't give you the coaches film, the all 22. So I couldn't go back and watch to see exactly where Tyson Anderson lined up on this play and where he came from. But he said later that Lou Anarumo called a good call for defense. So I'm guessing he was kind of playing an underneath robber. And could just jump the underneath crosser. Either way, Clifford doesn't see him at all. Tyson Anderson, we know, has great speed. He was out all of last year with the hamstring injury, but it doesn't slow him down at all. He takes it for the pick six. So that puts, after the extra point by McPherson, Green Bay 14, Cincinnati 13. So this is still a close ball game. Cincinnati's only down by one. Next drive, first and 10 at Green Bay's 25. Handoff off up the middle, Jay Tufele, number 97 for the Bengals, gets penetration, tackle for loss of three yards. He just immediately comes through the backfield, grabs the running back, puts all his weight on top of him, and slams him into the ground. It must have been a horrible experience for the running back to have this huge 300-pound guy wrap both of his arms around you as tight as he can, run run you backwards until he just like slams all of his weight on top of you, <laughs> slam you into the ground. It looked painful, and then Jay Tufeli gets up over top of him and does some kind of like Samoan warrior, I don't know what you call it, intimidation dance. It was pretty cool. Third and nine at Green Bay's 26. It's been a quiet half from the first round defensive end, Miles Murphy, so far. On this play, he didn't get any pressure, which is kind of disappointing. Third and long, you should think that this is a big pass rush down. Unfortunately, he kind of takes himself out of the play. Instead of rushing upfield and containing the outside, he tries to loop back around the middle and gets just completely washed up in all the other blockers. So he lets Clifford, the quarterback, roll out to his left, has all kinds of time to throw, find the receiver, gets open on the left sideline for 28-yard pass. Alan George, number 42, was the cornerback, defending on the play, and that's a long time to... Guard a guy in the open field. I mean, Clifford must have had like at least five seconds to roll around back there and do whatever he wants. So that's a long time to try to guard a guy downfield. A little bit later, six minutes left to go in the second quarter, second and 16 at the Green Bay 48. Short pass up the middle, Shaka Hayward, number 50, comes in and lays a pretty big hit on the running back, completely flattens him, doesn't let him get any yak. So he was kind of far away in terms of the coverage i mean he was playing his zone coverage he's getting a deep drop so that's just how he's playing it you'd maybe like to see him a little bit closer because the running back was still able to get a few yards but i like the hit it was maybe one of the best hits in the game five minutes to go in the second quarter it's fourth and five for green bay at the cincinnati 41. number 20 dj turner makes a nice play up the left sideline Green Bay also tries to throw a back shoulder fade on fourth and five, and D.J. Turner is able to get his head around this time, find the ball in the air, and knock it down. And he's in good position. He's right on the defender. So it wasn't maybe the best pass by Clifford on that one, but it was a good play by D.J. Turner. And it was nice to see him bounce back from a little bit of a shaky start where he fell down. Because of the stop, Bengals get the ball back, no points. It's still Green Bay 14, Bengals 13. We see a couple of nice catches by Kwame Lasseter II to start out this drive. My biggest note here, Jake Browning completes a pass to Tanner Hudson over the middle for 16 yards. Tanner Hudson tried to jump and hurdle over top of two guys on this play, and there was a third guy standing right next to him. If you're not maybe an experienced football player and you don't know, look, don't jump. No jumping, in, especially not in the NFL. Don't try to jump over guys in the NFL, especially if there are multiple other guys around in the area because exactly what happened on this play, he jumped over the first guy and kind of caught his leg, which tilted him forward into the air. He went over the second guy, but then the third guy had time to come in and like body slam him into the turf. So Tanner Hudson was out with a concussion the rest of the game. Don't jump. And we also earlier in the game, saw number 30, Chase Brown, on a run play out to the left. He tried to jump too, and the, almost the exact same thing happened to him. He's like he didn't get a concussion also. So if you're a rookie and you're in the NFL, one thing you need to learn, no jumping. Please do not jump. And if you're going to try to do a hurdle move, only hurdle one guy at a time. If there's two guys, don't try to hurdle over two guys at the same time. It's not going to work. After a couple more plays, we got second and four at the Green Bay 21 Jake Browning almost throws an interception on the screen pass. He's really lucky that the defensive lineman just dropped it. It was right in his hands. I'm not sure what the play was supposed to be, but that came dangerously close to being intercepted. Luckily, it was not intercepted. Cincinnati ends up kicking another 39-yard field goal from there. I just continue to notice that Brad Robbins looks solid as a holder for the place kicking. He looks very efficient. No extra motions. He looks very calm. Brad was the holder at Michigan for an All-American kicker, so he's got plenty of holding experience. At this point, Cincinnati hits first lead of the game. It's Bengals 16, Packers 14. After a few plays, after Green Bay gets the ball back, we see Tyson Anderson pick off his second pass of the game. This one was over the middle. They were trying to hit tight end Tucker Kraft. He's like a big 6'4", 6'5", 250-pound tight end. Tyson Anderson jumps the route and he's able to rip it away before the tight end can get his hands on it. So another interception, a huge game for the fifth round pick. We'd like to see that coming back. Unfortunately, immediately after Anderson gets his second interception, Bengals get the ball back. Jake Browning throws two high passes in a row to number 12 Sheldrick Jackson, who Happens to be the nephew of Bo Jackson. But Browning, first pass to the left, high and outside. Jackson can't bring it down. Second pass, again, high to the right side. Jackson tries to catch it. It looked like you'd like to see Sheldrick be able to catch that one, but it was a pretty high pass. it It would have been a tough catch, but in the NFL, you expect guys maybe to make that sometimes. Unfortunately, it goes through his hands. The cornerback picks it off. So Browning is just off target all night. Now, as opposed to Jake Browning, on the other hand, for the Packers, their quarterback, Sean Clifford, continues to dice up the Bengals D, apart from those two interceptions. Obviously, the pick six and the second interception, I mean, they weren't terrible. But the first play of the drive, he hits a 47-yard strike up the middle 47-yard catch and run. Again, straight through two Bengals defenders. Not a good look. After that, Sean Clifford, he scrambles out to the left and goes around Shaka Hayward for a first down like Hayward is just stuck in the mud. He made a good hit. Hayward did make a good hit earlier in the game, but he may not have the quick change of direction that you want to see out of a linebacker. So, you know, it's one play. Who knows? Maybe... He just didn't react that quickly on that play, but we'll have to watch that. Green Bay caps off this drive with a touchdown pass over the middle from Clifford to Tyler Davis, so that makes it Green Bay 21, Cincinnati 16, going into halftime. And at halftime, for the Bengals audience, for the TV audience, we get to see a tribute to Ken Riley, the Rattler, who's going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame He's already in the Bengals ring of honor, but he played 15 seasons for the Bengals as a defensive back after having played only quarterback, never played defense before getting to the NFL. But Paul Brown converted him to a defensive back and he got 65 interceptions over his career, which is still tied for fifth all time among all players. So it's probably long overdue for him to get into the Hall of Fame considering how long he played, how many interceptions he has compared to. A lot of people who are already in the Hall of Fame who don't have nearly 65. So, good moment for Ken Riley. Starting off the second half, Bengals replaced pretty much their entire offense, including quarterback Trevor Simeon, who thankfully replaces Jake Browning, who was pretty horrible, I thought. The Bengals' offensive line in the first half was number 70, Deontay Smith, number 74, Max Sharping, 63 Trey Hill, 60 Cody Ford, and 79 Jackson Carmen. So you open up, open up the second half. They went with left tackle 77 Hakeem Adeniji, who we know from playoffs, and he's been with the team for a few years. Left guard Ben Brown, center 66 Nate Gilliam, right guard Jackson Kirkland, and Deontay Smith started off the third quarter at right tackle instead of left tackle. Unfortunately, the Bengals went 3 and out on the first drive of the second half. Yossi Vash looked like he probably dropped a back shoulder throw from Simeon. It looked like a good pass that just went through Yossi Vash's hands. Simeon had plenty of time to throw, so that was good to see from the offensive line. After the Bengals punt, Green Bay gets it back. They're still up 21-16, 13 minutes to go left in the third quarter. This is really about the only notable play for Miles Murphy. There's a run play where they get about four yards. He comes off the defensive left edge. It looked like they were going kind of a 3-4 front where he was playing the defensive end position, and he came crashing down to make the tackle. Good stop, four-yard gain. You'd like to see those three defensive linemen who are in the middle put up more of a resistance, but good play by Miles Murphy. Packers end up punting the ball away and Charlie Jones gets his first chance at a punt return. He tries to fake to the right and go to the left, but he doesn't fake anybody out, and he gets maybe only five yards. I don't really know if he was trying to set up the blocking or where the blocking was supposed to go, but he didn't break any tackles at all, so that was kind of disappointing because we saw Trent Taylor get like a 25-yard punt return making all kinds of guys' miss, and we were talking about Charlie Jones maybe challenging for Trent Taylor on a spot on roster. I don't know about that. Trent Taylor started the game at slot receiver. He's the much better punt returner so far, so I don't know if Charlie Jones is really going to challenge, which is a surprise. People were talking about Trent Taylor's spot on the roster being in jeopardy. I don't think that's really the case so far. After the Bengals get the ball back, it's third and eight. Simeon's pass is tipped at the line of scrimmage and intercepted. Not too much you can really do about that one. If you're Simeon, it looked like it just Defensive lineman got his hands up in the throwing lane, made a good play. The defense caught it on the back end. Not too much you can do about that. After the interception, the Bengals were able to hold Green Bay to a field goal. So it's 24-16, Green Bay still in the lead by 8 points. After the Packers' field goal, Bengals get the ball back, 3rd and 7 at the Bengals, 28. Simeon stands in the pocket. He knows he's going to be under pressure on third down the Packers send a blitz up the middle they almost get there but right before they do Simeon's able to get the pass off to Yoshivas on the left for a slant he's kind of coming across the middle on the slant route he makes a good catch breaks a tackle breaks it out to the right side gets some more yards he picks up a block from one of his other receivers and the if I was going to make one criticism of Yoshivash on this play is that it looked like he could have put his right foot into the ground and maybe gotten a couple extra yards going upfield because nobody actually pushed him out of bounds. I know there's, a, if you think about like Jimmy Garoppolo, how he tore his ACL along the sidelines trying to be a tough guy and like put his shoulder and not go out of bounds and and took the hit. I know it's a preseason game. You don't want to take extra hits if you don't have to. But I would like to have seen him just get those little, Couple extra yards because there was nobody really that was within five yards of him when he went out of bounds. He just kind of ran out of bounds on his own. And then, you know, you never want to leave yards on the field if you can get those extra ones. Maybe he was tired because I know he did play a lot of special teams. So he he caught the pass, ran all the way across the field. Maybe he had just been covering on the punt team. So he had his hands on his hips, like he was kind of out of gas. You know, a little bit fatigued. Maybe that's why he kind of took it out of bounds. But you like to see him press press the yards as much as you can. So about six minutes ago in the third quarter, we see Simeon hit another pass to Chase Brown over the middle. He makes a good catch and run out of the backfield for about 21 yards. That was Chase Brown's best play of the night. He showed some good burst. He didn't really have space to get away, but he got you know decent yards, 20 yards. Can't complain about that. A little bit later in the drive, it brings up 3rd and 17 at Green Bay's 25. So they got to go deep. They go into the end zone for Yossi Vaj. Back corner of the end zone, left corner. He reaches up and grabs it, and it looks like he brings it down initially, but his, I think it was his right foot was just out of bounds. Maybe it was the left foot, but it was his foot, outside foot. Just came down, second foot, came down just out of bounds. The announcers were trying to say, oh, if he had smaller feet, it would have been a touchdown. If you actually look at the replay of that play, I don't think he actually caught the ball when he came to the ground. His foot was out of bounds, but also the ball kind of moves. I think it would have been overturned if they went to instant replay because you saw the ball move on the ground. I'm not sure he caught it cleanly. I think it hit the ground, so... It wouldn't have been a touchdown either way, in my opinion. So after the deep pass attempt on third down comes up incomplete, Bengals have to settle for McPherson's fourth field goal of the night from 43. Again, he's perfect right down the middle, plenty of distance. That's what we saw all last year from Evan McPherson all the year before. The only thing that's concerning about that, again, is Bengals are settling for field goals instead of touchdowns, which is, I think, one of the problems that they had last season was they were always getting stopped and held to field goals you got to score touchdowns to win games you can't be held to field goals so that's something to watch out for at this point it's Green Bay 24 Cincinnati 19 with just a couple minutes left to go in the third quarter on the ensuing kickoff after the field goal Bengals coverage team gives up a big return the only person so the returner Gets it all the way back to the 50-yard line, midfield, basically. Huge return. The only person left between Green Bay's returner and him scoring a touchdown is Evan McPherson, (laughs) our tiny little kicker out there. He's the smallest guy on the field. Evan McPherson comes up and puts a shoulder into this guy on the sidelines. Now, I know he stopped the touchdown. That's his job. That's what he's got to do. But I really don't like seeing Evan McPherson hitting anybody in the preseason, in the regular season. Maybe he could do that in the playoffs, but I don't want Evan McPherson doing any contact of any kind. He tried to tackle somebody, I think it was a year or two years ago. He pulled his groin because he tried to run after some guy when he wasn't probably warmed up enough. We need to keep Evan in glass, keep him encased in carbonite until the playoffs. Don't let anybody hurt him. No tackling. Please do not make any tackles in the preseason, Evan McPherson. That is my Goals for you. After the long return, Green Bay has great field position. They have a couple of plays and they score a touchdown way too easily. I don't know what's going on with Bengals backup defenders, but some of these guys, it's not the effort you're looking for. If you're Duke Tobin and Lou Anaromo and Zach Taylor, way too easy on that touchdown, also. This takes the score to Green Bay 30, Cincinnati 19. Green Bay missed the extra point wide right. Rookie kicker Carlson shanked it wide right. Green Bay 30, Cincinnati 19. Bengals get the ball back. Three minutes left in the third quarter. They run a few plays. Kwame Lasseter, the second, makes a couple good catches for first downs, but they end up punting. Not too much notable happened in that drive. That takes us to the fourth quarter where it's Packers 30, Bengals 19. Starting off the fourth quarter, Simeon tries a pass short right to Yosivash on a quick out. It's a little bit behind Andre, and he can't make the one-handed grab behind him. You would have liked to have seen him make that catch, but it was a tough catch. Yosivash has played pretty much the entire game up until this point. He finally comes out with 11 minutes left to go in the fourth, but he started the game, played pretty much the entire game. Ended up with 10 targets, so they were really feeding the ball to him. You could tell that they wanted to get him a lot of experience going up against those pro-level defensive backs, pro-level athletes. The Bengals end up punting on that drive. Give it back over to the Packers, who had a short 7-play, 24-yard drive. Took up a little bit of time, but they didn't really do much either, so they punted back to the Bengals. Charlie Jones, on his second punt return... Got even less yards. I don't know. He maybe got one or two yards on this return. He really didn't get anywhere at all. He had a little bit of space, it looked like, but he just didn't make anybody miss and just got tackled immediately. So maybe just bad luck for Charlie Jones, I'm not sure, but didn't really get anything going this game. Going into this Bengals drive, subsequent Bengals drive, Charlie Jones finally sees a couple passes coming his way. Once Yoshivas is out of the lineup, they start throwing at Charlie Jones. He gets one short pass, one incomplete, so nothing really spectacular for him. We saw a long punt from Brad Robbins, over 60 yards. The only problem was it went into the end zone for a touchback, so the distance was great. I'm sure it looked spectacular spiraling through the air, but the net on it was not as good. It was only about 45 yards in the net because it came back out to the 20. On the ensuing first and 10 from Green Bay's 20-yard line, running back Emmanuel Wilson breaks off an 80-yard touchdown run. I mean, on this play, the cornerback on the Bengals' left, the offensive right, number 39, Marvell Tell, he got caught looking inside and completely gave up contain on the outside. So on the right, the running back just took like two steps to the left and then completely broke it out to the right, and there was nobody there. It reminded me, if you remember the Bengals, when they played the Jaguars a couple of years ago, Joe Mixon had a very similar touchdown run where he took the handoff two steps to the left, then broke it out to the right. There was no contain, nobody there to stop him. The only difference on that Joe Mixon run was he only had to go like 40 yards, and there was probably somebody eventually going to catch him on this play. Nobody caught Emmanuel Wilson the entire 80 yards, including number 40, Larry Brooks, who is the Bengals' safety. He is a rookie out of Tulane, undrafted guy. And I hate to see it, I hate to say it, but Larry Brooks might not be on this team very long because he had ample opportunity to see and react what was happening. And I went back and looked, I was like, man, Emmanuel Wilson really ran right past Larry Brooks and i went and looked and emmanuel wilson ran a 46240 so it's not like he is some kind of blazing fast guy i think larry brooks might just be slow so as paul brown used to say might be time for him to find his life's work after the touchdown packers kicker carlson missed his second extra point of the night again badly to the right so he needs to work on his consistency and accuracy hopefully We'll meet the Packers later and he can miss them. After that long touchdown run, that makes it Green Bay 36, Cincinnati 19. After the kick, Cincinnati gets the ball back. Trevor Simeon makes a pretty good athletic play to avoid the sack. There's two guys right on top of him in the pocket that he got away from. But then he scrambled out to the right and almost immediately threw an interception. So... Luckily, it was dropped by the Packers defensive back, but it was right to him. Uh, we saw number 12, Sheldrick Jackson, and number 14, Mac Hippenhammer, make a couple catches on this drive. So that was good to see them get involved, but it ended in an eventual punt back to the Packers. If I'm remembering correctly, I think this may have been a little bit of a shorter punt. Maybe Robin's only mishit in punting distance of the night. Third and six at the Bengals, 45. Raymond Johnson the third, comes in and gets a strip sack that's recovered by Dominique Davis, number 72. So Cincinnati gets the ball back. Dominique Davis was the, the guy who was in on Tyson Anderson's pick six. He put the pressure on Clifford early. So he's still playing late into the fourth quarter. And when you see Dominique Davis... Get the ball. He looks so exhausted when he gets off the ground. He's not he's too he's too tired to even celebrate. All his teammates are jumping all over him and he looks like he just looks completely exhausted. He's played a lot for a big man. I don't know if the big man was expecting that many snaps on Friday night. Another drive by the Bengals, a couple plays by Mac Hippenhammer. Good to see him out there. Jackson Carmen was in the game in the fourth quarter, and he gets a false start penalty, which is not good. He also gave up some pressure. Late in the game, it was a little bit concerning to see Jackson Carmen giving up pressure to guys who are on the back end of the roster for the Packers. But at the same time, he played most of the first half. And if you're thinking the Packers, maybe third string guys didn't play that much, maybe they didn't play as many snaps as Jackson Carmen. So they were more fresh, had more energy, more juice left in the tank than Carmen did because it was a hot night out there for those big guys. So maybe Carmen was just getting tired. Who knows? But he didn't look that great all night. That was basically the end of the game. Final score ends up Green Bay 36, Cincinnati 19. So 0-1 for preseason in the Bengals. Not that uncommon. I think Zach Taylor is something like 3-8 and eight in his preseason career. So Zach Taylor, not a winning record in the regular season, not a winning record in the preseason. But postseason, when it counts... He's been pretty good, so I'll give him that. I know we said we weren't going to focus too much on the stats, but let's do a little bit of a quick summary of the box score, just some stats that jumped out. Quarterbacks for the Bengals, Jake Browning started off 10 for 17, 95 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He got sacked on the first his first drop back, which is ugly. Trevor Simeon, not really much better. 15 of 28, 121 yards, one interception, no sacks. Simeon was doing a lot of underneath short passes. Neither one of them was really able to hit much down the field. The Packers, Jordan Love, their quarterback was 7 of 10 for 46 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, no sacks. Sean Clifford, 20 of 26, 208 yards, one touchdown. He did have those two interceptions, but also no sacks. Bengals only had one sack the whole game. That was strip sack late in the game on the Packers' third-string quarterback. So They weren't able to get too much pressure on the Packers' first and second-string offensive linemen. Even though these were backups for the Bengals, you would have liked to at least see maybe Miles Murphy or Jeff Gunter get a little bit of pressure off the edge. Even... I saw Joseph Osai out there a couple times, but he didn't really make anything happen. Chris Evans was the leading rusher for the Bengals. Seven carries, 49 yards, seven yards per carry average. He did have a long of 33, so most of his yards came on that one long run. The leading rusher for the Packers was, of course, Emmanuel Wilson. Six carries, 111 yards, two touchdowns, and he had that long of 80 for the touchdown late in the game. For the Bengals receiving, Andre Yosivash was the leader by far in terms of he had four catches on 10 targets for 50 yards with a long of 24. So 12 and a half yards per catch, not too bad. I think we want to see a little bit higher than that because of his speed and athleticism. You want to see him get a little bit higher yards per catch. And I expect he'll hit some deep ones this season. Kwame Lasser to the second was a kind of a bright spot he had six catches on seven targets albeit for only 33 yards so he was a reliable target even though he wasn't going deep down the field he was catching him over the middle little short passes getting first downs Charlie Jones two catches on six targets for 11 yards also not a whole lot of yards but not a lot of productivity out of Charlie Jones in the receiving game either Defensively, of course, we had Tyson Anderson, the safety, with his two interceptions and the pick six. Definitely the player of the game for the Bengals in this one on offense or defense or either side of the game. Tyson Anderson really stood out. Raymond Johnson, the third, he had the strip sack and a couple other tackles. Alan George, the cornerback, number 42, he led or tied for the lead with five total tackles, although. If you're a cornerback making a lot of tackles, that's not necessarily a great thing because that probably means that the guy who you were guarding has caught the pass and now you're trying to tackle him. So that means you've given up a catch to a guy. <laughs> you don't wanna be making too many tackles as a cornerback. On the other side, we had Jay Tufele also had five tackles and a tackle for loss. So we saw good explosiveness and penetration all game from Jay. So we know he's done some great things in the past, and we expect him to keep that up. The second-round cornerback, D.J. Turner, number 20, he had three tackles for loss in this game. It kind of went under the radar, but he showed up with his speed coming up and breaking on guys, making tackles out of the backfield. He had four solo tackles and that fourth-down pass breakup. So overall, I'd say it was a pretty encouraging, pretty positive day for D.J. Turner, the second-round pick. For the Packers, I thought Sean Clifford was definitely their player of the game. He looked confident, decisive. He made good decisions. He made good plays with his arms, with his legs. You know, He had the, the two interceptions, which is not good, but he really made it look easy. He didn't look flustered like a rookie. You watch a lot of the other rookie quarterbacks throughout the league. He didn't look like he had that deer in the headlights stare at all. He looked very confident the whole time. I didn't see any jitters or any nerves out of Clifford the whole game, so he looked great. Just some of the key player takeaways from the game. We already mentioned 6th round pick Andre Yosivash, the wide receiver out of Princeton, number 80. He showed off his athletic ability and he looks totally in place with the rest of the athletes in the NFL. He fits right in. The only thing he's lacking is experience against those other type of elite football players. He's gone up against lesser competition throughout his college career. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can make those hands catches, catches in traffic when he's going to take a big hit. You know in the NFL you're not just going to be able to take hits and get away with it. You're going to take a lot of big hits from linebackers and safeties. We've seen T. Higgins take like helmet-to-helmet hits. They got flags. So you don't want to see anybody get hit obviously but Friday night he didn't really take any hits at all like I said he kind of stepped out of bounds to avoid a hit one time so everybody's going to get hit eventually it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to the physical nature of the game if he gets back up after a hit or if it takes him a while to pop back up last year's fifth round pick from the Toledo Rockets Tyson Anderson he showed why they picked him even though he sat out last year with that hamstring injury I'm sure he was very frustrated and eager to get back onto the field this year to show what he can do. So he showed that he really has a nose for the football and is able to muscle it away from those two defenders. It was a little bit of a quiet night for the first-round pick, Miles Murphy, defensive end. He had one decent tackle on the run, like I said, where he still gave up a few yards, but he closed down on it and closed down well. Not much of a pass rush so far out of Miles Murphy. We're going to have to see what he can do in terms of the pass game. Second round pick, cornerback number 20, DJ Turner. He got off to a little bit of a shaky start, but he bounced back, made some nice tackles, broke up that pass, so that was good to see. Third round pick, Jordan Battle, also came up, made a few nice tackles, had a pass breakup. He looked like he was in pretty good position for the most part, so good to see from the rookie. Fourth round pick, Charlie Jones. Not a lot to get excited about on offense or on the punt returns. So hopefully he'll have a better game when he has some better quarterbacks throwing him the ball. Maybe he can do a little bit more. Fifth round pick, Chase Brown, the running back from Illinois. He showed some decent bursts out of the backfield when he caught the ball. He looked like he was willing to pass block. I'm not saying he was a great pass blocker, but he looks like he's a little bit undersized, a little bit light. So if he is going to try to block defensive ends it's not going to go well for Chase Brown I'm a little bit concerned for him but maybe he could be like a third down back out of the backfield catching passes and not be such a like bruising heavy back like Joe Mixon number 87 the tight end Tanner Hudson he looked like a really reliable receiver he caught I think every target that was thrown to him the only thing is he jumped and concussed himself on the ground so He looked great up until getting a concussion, so we hope that Tanner Hudson can come back sooner rather than later. Kicker Evan McPherson, he looked great also. 4 for 4 for field goals, 1-1 for from extra points. The only thing we want to say to Evan McPherson, don't make any tackles, please. Along the lines of kicker, 6th round pick punter Brad Robbins, I'd say he looked good enough to win the punting job from what we saw Friday night just in that first game. Because Drew Chrisman had his health issues, I think it's going to be really tough for Drew to come back and make it a true competition with Brad. But I think Brad showed better consistency than Drew did overall last year. So already, I think Brad has the edge over Drew. So those are some of the positive performances we saw. But, of course, we have to evaluate fairly and be critical, view things with a critical eye. So... We have to see the good and the bad. One of the negative things we saw was Jackson Carmen's performance. I don't know what the deal is with Jackson Carmen, but he looks like he hates playing football. He doesn't look like he likes playing football at all. He looks like he hates being out there. He hates every second of it. He wants it to be over as soon as possible. And if he keeps playing the way that he is, his career is going to be over as soon as, as possible too because everything about it just looks like he's very reluctant. And in the post-game interviews, you know, it's bad when you're getting interviewed as a backup offensive lineman because you know they're interviewing you because you did poorly. So I have some sympathy for Jackson Carmen. He at least took the questions, but he didn't answer them very well, in my opinion. When he answers the questions, he says things like, I'm going to do whatever the coaches ask me to do to the best of my ability, and I'm just going to do whatever they ask of me, which is fine But it's not like he's going to put in any extra effort to ask the coaches what he should be doing. It's like the coaches have to ask him and then he's going to do it. But he's not going to do anything unless somebody asks him first, which is not really a successful attitude for in the NFL. It looks like he just honestly, it looks like he doesn't really care. He gives off really strong stoner vibes. So. He's going to have to figure out what he wants to do in life. Maybe it's football. Maybe it's something else. The thing that's so frustrating about him is Jackson obviously has all the physical tools. He's six foot five or six foot six, an easy 330 pounds. He can run. He can move. He's got all the strength, the power, all that kind of stuff. It just looks like he's not putting in the effort, not putting in the work to be elite, to be good, to live up to his potential. And there's a lot of guys like that who go in and out of the league. They have all the potential in the world, but they don't put in the effort and they don't make it happen and they're gone. So we're going to have to see what happens with Jackson Carmen, whether or not he contributes this year or whether this is his last year with the team. I'd say it was kind of a rough game for defensive end Jeff Gunter. He had two costly penalties, one of them on the punt return where he had the block in the back that took away Trent Taylor's long return and then he had another offsides penalty, getting jumping into the neutral zone that gave up a first down On when they had four yards to go, so not smart plays by Jeff Gunner. You want to see him clean those up. He did have the pass breakup, tip pass, which is good to see, but overall, could have seen better from Jeff Gunner. Immediately after the game, Zach Taylor does his typical press conference, not say anything, give out no information whatsoever. He's kind of like Bill Belichick not quite as gruff and dismissive as Bill Belichick, but just as boring. He's completely monotone, no facial expression change. The only time Zach Taylor's expression changes in a post-game interview is when they ask him some kind of question that he doesn't want to answer. He'll just get this really big smile and say something like no comment or whatever. I understand why Zach Taylor is that way in press conferences he never says anything critical or negative about any of his players and as a player you want that from your coach you don't want your coach out there talking about you in a negative way to the media saying you suck saying you're not doing your job because then uh, you know the fans who don't know anything are going to jump all over you saying you suck too and so it's good that Zach Taylor has his players back he defends his players too much a lot of times sometimes you wish he would be a little bit more honest and say yeah that wasn't good enough by that guy but he was always he'll always say like well it wasn't just that guy there were a lot of people who made mistakes and it's true you know but he never specifically calls out one person he'll always kind of spread the blame around or say well you know that coaches got to do a better job i got to do a better job i think he's talked about that in the past where. He intentionally tries to take all the blame onto himself, which is fine for the players. As a, as a fan, it's frustrating to hear the head coach just make basically make up excuses for why his team and his players are bad. And so when you hear the coach saying, yeah, I'm a bad coach and I made bad decisions, it's easy to hate on Zach Taylor. I understand why he's doing it, and I understand that his players like that, so... From a player perspective, I appreciate Zach Taylor. From a fan perspective, he's extremely annoying. So that covers preseason game one. Now let's cover a couple of the top stories around the NFL. Bryce Young, the number one overall draft pick for the Carolina Panthers. He's a quarterback out of Alabama. He came in in his first game, and the thing that I noticed about him was he was very quiet with his feet. After he would take the snap from behind center or out of shotgun, he didn't move his feet very much at all, which I was quite noticeable. Like he didn't shuffle his feet. I don't know if that's, maybe that's how he used to do it in Alabama. I haven't really watched Bryce Young that much, but I noticed he had a good base to throw from. Like he was very planted. His feet were in the ground. All of his toes were in the ground. So it looked like when he was ready to throw, he was going to have a lot of power. The results weren't that good for Bryce Young. When he threw the ball, it was kind of inaccurate. He didn't have a lot of completions. And then he got lit up from behind by Solomon Thomas for the Jets. The Jets pulled like a stunt tackle and twist. Solomon Thomas came up. And Solomon Thomas, if you watch Hard Knocks, is the guy with all the muscles. So he's about 6'2", 260 super low body fat just completely chiseled he looks like a Carl Lawson if you remember from the Bengals a few years ago Carl Lawson was a very similar body type Bryce Young is only like five, ten, 10 180 pounds so getting hit by some guy who outweighs him by 80 pounds from the back completely blindsided him he got crushed he cannot take hits like that and especially because he's standing there so still it looks like he's up on a tee like he looks like If I were a defensive end, rushing off the edge, I saw Bryce Young standing there, his little behind, standing there not moving. He looks like a just a nice golf ball set up on a tee, just ready to crush. (laughs) Bryce Young is going to have to get some eyes in the back of his head. He cannot survive hits like that in the NFL for very long from guys like Solomon Thomas. He's the worst. I know Panthers fans are going to want to see their linemen, Brady Christensen and Iki Aquano do a little bit better with those stunts to protect their first-round draft pick. You don't want to see that on the first pass of the season Let your quarterback get crushed. (laughs) The Houston Texans picked C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State at number two, and he went to New England, and he had a rough start. He was getting a lot of pressure. He was throwing off his back foot a lot. So C.J. Stroud looked a little bit rattled by the pressure in his first start. Hopefully he improves and gets a little bit more comfortable as the preseason goes. And that's the thing about these preseason games is these guys are getting their first taste at the NFL. Just got to give them a little bit of time. Similar with Anthony Richardson for the Indianapolis Colts. He was another top five pick. He struggled. I saw him throw an interception off of his back foot with a little bit of pressure coming in his face. So those are all things that you have to just learn and grow from as a young guy in the NFL. That's why they play these preseason exhibition games. They don't count for the record, so you can make those type of mistakes and learn what you can get away with, what you can't get away with, what you can do, and what you can't do in the NFL. In Joe Burrow's rookie season, they had the pandemic of 2020, so there was no preseason games whatsoever. They just had some scrimmages before the regular season started, and the Bengals' first game was against the Chargers. Joe Burrow threw some like backhanded shovel pass that Melvin Ingram from the Chargers intercepted. And... Burrow, he would never make that mistake now, but in his first game, he was still learning what he could kind of get away with. Maybe he would have pulled that play in LSU when he was in college, but that's you can't do that in the NFL. So Joe Burrow learned that lesson in the regular season, unfortunately. He didn't get a preseason game to learn that. He had to learn that the hard way. So that's good for these young guys to be able to get out there and make those mistakes now, and it doesn't really count. The other big news that came out was Dalvin Cook, the former Minnesota Vikings running back, all all pro, pro bowl guy for many years, signed a one year, $7 million base deal with the New York Jets. Could be up to $8.6 million with incentives, but we don't know how hard those incentives are going to be to reach. So it's base of $7 million a year for Dalvin Cook, which is a pretty good deal. That's. For Dalvin Cook, yes, he's coming off injury, but he is Pro Bowl. He's got lots of juice, and it's going to give the Jets fans something to cheer about. The Jets, it's going to be interesting for them this year. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They've got a great defense with Quinnen Williams and Sauce Gardner. They've got Garrett Wilson, the Offensive Rookie of the Year, and a lot of other guys coming back. So Jets will be a team to contend with in the AFC East for sure. And that pretty much does it for this show. Now let's just wrap up with some show notes and listener feedback before we get out of here. This was our third episode of the Bengal Bites podcast. I'll say this show was a little bit more typical of what I had in mind for the rest of the shows going forward. I had a couple of shows to start off that were a little bit more informational, but going forward, the show format should be a little bit like this. I like to get the game recaps up a little bit quicker than i did took me a few days to get this one up part of the reason this show is up late is because the last episode the preseason primer took so long to get out that it put me a little bit behind schedule to get this one but also i don't want to do a quick instant reaction podcast i know a lot of people they have the temptation to immediately press record and get streaming go on youtube go live and give their immediate reactions without actually re-watching the game, replay. And so it just turns into a lot of inaccuracies and people trying to remember what they think they saw and what they think happened instead of what actually happened. So I don't wanna spread false information, give you a bunch of fake news about the Bengals. I wanna actually go back and digest the game, watch it back a few times to really take some notes and get everything correct. One reason I don't want to do the instant reaction is if you think back last year when Tua, Tua Tugavaloa, and the Dolphins were playing the Bills on Christmas. It was a big game. Everybody was watching. And then in the second half, Tua like completely unraveled through a bunch of interceptions, bad interceptions. So if you're a Dolphins fan and you went live immediately after that game and you're probably dumping all over Tua and saying he sucks, blah, blah, blah. Then it came out that he had a concussion during the game and that's why he was playing that way. So if you don't know that, you're saying all this stuff and you look like an idiot. So I don't want to make myself look like an idiot. I want to be a little bit more conservative, wait till I get a little bit more of the facts so I can give you some good quality information and not just talk out of my you-know-what. Now, listener feedback. Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment, all that kind of stuff. I put out a poll asking what do people want in terms of other people on the podcast. And somebody said, yeah, they would prefer another co-host. I would also like another co-host too. I'm going to be honest with you. That was kind of my idea for the show was to have a back and forth banter between two people. But as you may know, it's hard, lonely times being a Bengals fan out there, especially when you live in Browns country. So I asked my two Bengals fans that I know if they wanted to come on the podcast with me. And unfortunately, they turned me down. So I figured I can't wait any longer to put out the podcast. I've been kind of wanting to do it for a while, but couldn't find another co-host, basically. So I was like, screw it. I'll just do it myself. And who knows? Maybe I'll go on as a guest on some other podcast or have some guests from other shows come on to mine. But I wanted to kind of get this thing started just to get the ball rolling. You have to, you know, you can't just start from nothing. So I wanted to get something started and then we'll see where this goes. Kind of my inspiration for the show was another Bengals podcast. If you want to check out Cincy Natter from Hude UK, it's the British Bengals fan podcast with Paul and Nathan, and they do an extremely entertaining, funny show. They have a lot of friendly banner. They have a lot of amazing guests, and they really make it sound like they're just two mates down at the pub having a pint, hanging out, talking about some Bengals football. So it's really kind of a laid back fun show. I really enjoy that. If you're looking for another Bengals show to check out, I highly recommend Natter. So if you've made it this far into the show, I want to thank you very much for listening and I'll leave it with a who day and stay hungry for more Bengal bites. <music>